pure religion. And before we begin, let's come turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon us, and we do forget at times, Lord, to give you thanks and to give you praise. Because in time of comfort and in time of peace, we don't remember to call out to you. But help us, Lord, to be reminded that in times like these, we need to prepare and we need to give and we need to extend ourselves beyond the comfort of our chairs and our beds and our homes so that we are reminded that there is a world at large that you want to save and you want to use those who have been blessed to bless those who have not. And so use us, Lord, the church in this time as we gather and we are reminded of the faith and of the, uh, the charge that you have given to us to go into the world and to preach your gospel. And so I pray that as your word being preached today, may it give us the challenge, invoke in us, Lord, a sense of duty and responsibility as we come into the calling and the ministry that you have for each one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. When you go into a restaurant, and if that restaurant is dirty, are you concerned? When you go to a cafeteria, look at the people who prepare the food for you, and they wipe their nose with their hands, and they put it on their pants. Would you consider eating at that place? When you go into someone's house, and they're sneezing and coughing, and it seems like they're having some kind of huge bug, bring out the food, would you be a little anxious to eat? When you come to the church here, and you see me, the way I live, what I do, outside of preaching the gospel, I curse, I don't care about people around me, would you listen to what I say? Religion is what we do, our character. How you live your life, how you carry your words, your action, everything that we do ultimately come down to whether someone who listens to you would receive what you say or would they say, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I want to receive it from you. That's what religion is. Religion is the outward expression of the things that's inside. Religion is how we carry on our day-to-day, -day, our worship inside the church and outside the church. When God is present, or we think, and or when we think that God is not present, that is religion. Religion is not a bad word. Religion is not something we should stay away from. Religion is how we ought to live. The actions and the things that we do represent God or not, whether or not people will receive the gospel from us determines whether the vessel in which that gospel house, if the gospel is a word of God that nourish and give you life come from a vessel that's unclean, you wouldn't want to receive it. There is a discrepancy. Would God put his word in a vessel that's unclean? No, the Bible says otherwise. You cannot put new wine in old bottles. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be put in old bottles. You must be born again. And the process of being born again when you are saved and baptized 
you're cleansed. You should be. There is this new life, this new body that you house. The living word of God, Christ, Jesus himself, the spirit himself is in you. When I speak about the spirit, think about the spirit. It's not just a force, but that's God in us. He sent his spirit to us to be in us. And when each one of you have taken that vow before God to say that you live your life in such and such a way, you should because that's your vow you have given to God. That vow includes being faithful. That vow includes to reject the things of this world, to say no to the things that everyone else do. But then you say, but because I have been born again, because I have been baptized, because I vow a vow to God, I must keep this vessel clean so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not defiled because of the way I live and how I carry my life and my conduct and what I say and what I do because people need to hear this from me. I am the agent of God's grace. And if I do not live my life gracefully, and how can people listen to me? That is what religion is. And that's what I want to talk to you today. What is pure religion and how we can be a vessel? You see, the gospel is pure. The gospel is true. The gospel can save. But all responsibility to the gospel is that we must keep ourselves pure and clean. Just like the one who prepares food for you takes the responsibility of being sanitary. They clean their hands. They make sure the food that they prepare for you is clean. We ourselves have much more of a responsibility because this gospel is pure, it's clean, it's gracious. And so we, as the people who are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to keep ourselves pure and clean so that the gospel, when it comes out of us, it is true to the character of the person who delivers this message. And so I want you to turn with me to what James say. This is not contrary to what the Apostle Paul say. Even though some reformers might want to rip out the book of James and the book of Hebrews and say that's not part of the gospel. But no, it is part of the gospel. It is our faith. The gospel is the word of God. We must receive the word of God as is. And it's not antithesis to faith at all. We are saved by faith through grace. We are not saved by our works. But what James says here is also correct that we do have a responsibility. Each one of us has a responsibility to live our life in such a way that the gospel can flow through us unhindered, that we do not obstruct God's gospel. The apostle James, the brother of Jesus, in verse 27 of chapter 1, he said, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. You see, God requires that the gospel come out of human beings. That's why Jesus Christ was incarnate in the form of a man. But he humbled himself and subjected himself to God. His life was wholly dedicated to God to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Our responsibility is twofold. One is the things that we do for other people, the widows and the fatherless. And two is to himself. The Sanctity of the gospel must be in the sanctified body, meaning clean body. A new, the gospel needs to be in a clean and holy body. We need to be pious. We need to be sanctified. What are some of the poems that you should learn and memorize? I read first the title of the poem, and then I read the author of the poem before I decide to read the poem. Because to me, the author 
means more than the product. There are 20 poems that I wanted to read, but as I read through the biography of the authors, I end up only reading three out of those 20 poems. Because the character of the people who produce these poetry, to me, I don't want to read them. Because their characters, I don't hold to be of value. Now the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the author of all the things that we read and hear here, is by far the perfect character that God wants to convey to mankind. But yet, the Lord Jesus Christ is not here. He has gone to be with the Lord, to prepare for you and I a place. And so he gave his poetry, his word, to be delivered by the church. How are the characters, the people who are delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ, measure up to the word that's been given to us? Now, we're never going to be able to measure to the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, if he's working in you, is that sanctifying force in us. And when we speak the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified vessels that the word of God has a platform to deliver through us. James says to keep himself unspotted from the world. That is our pursuit. What are some of the things that you're going through in your life? Go through your daily activities and think about those things that you do. I'm sure that most of you don't remember what you do because you do many things unconsciously. I would encourage you to reevaluate because we should know what we're doing. If you're sitting there and you don't know what you have done for the most part of your day, then is it worth it? Those things that you do that you don't remember. We should be precise. We should be conscious. We should de be deliberate of the things that we choose to do or not to do. Those who have taken the vow through your baptism have taken the vow to live your life in accordance to the word of God. We should be conscious and deliberate in everything that we do so that the gospel is not hindered by the way we live or not live according to it. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We want to be stable. We want to be true and we want to be sincere when we speak the word of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We might be thinking, but God set me free. I'm free to do everything because Christ set me free. That is true. Christ has set you free. But because you are born again, you have been given a new mind, a new nature. But here's the thing. We live in the flesh, and in the flesh carries with it its own nature. When you are born again, you are born again spiritually. There is a seed of a new nature in you. In the flesh, you have your old nature that is already grown. And now, to make the new nature grow, you have to, well, kill off your old nature. Last year was my experimental year. I tried to live a healthy life, 
it didn't seem like it affect any of these metabolic or blood numbers. So 2019, I decided to eat whatever I want. Throw out all of my dietary requirements previously because I thought, you know, everything I did didn't matter. The number did not go down. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I can just eat whatever I want and it's just the same. Maybe my body is like that. It's so good that it doesn't matter what I eat, everything will be fine. And so 2019 was a, eat whatever you want. Whatever Debbie eats, I eat. Earlier this year, January, I went to get my yearly blood work. And I came back and the first thing the doctor sent in his message to me is, make an appointment, come back here in six months. Let's review your numbers because it didn't look right. I discovered that for me, there is a, a floor that I would never get past, meaning there's a low range I cannot go lower. But there is no upper bound. There's no limit on how high these numbers will go. Whatever I eat caused these numbers to go astronomical. And the doctor said, whoa, what'd you do, Paul? I experimented and it failed. I use this illustration to show you there is a life that God has. And when you're born again, that life is a seed inside of you. You can live the way you want to, and that seed will never grow. But unless you begin to curtail, or unless you begin to regulate your old self and cause it to wither and die, your new life will never grow because there's no room for it to grow. If you continue to do whatever you want to do and live the way you want to live, there is no bound to how big and how powerful your flesh can be. But the Apostle Paul tells us that you are dead. We, when we come to Christ and we give our life to Christ, when we are baptized, kids, when you are baptized, you are saying to the Lord that you no longer want to live your old selves. But if you keep living the way that you have been living, then your old self continues to grow. There is no bound to how big and how powerful it can get. So you need to stop. You need to put a limit and begin to squeeze that old self so that there's room for your new spiritual being to begin to grow. Otherwise, your new self will never grow. Have you grown in your spiritual self? That's my question. Because if your flesh continues to grow, then there's no room for your spiritual self to grow. One has to stop for the other one to grow because you have a finite space, spiritually speaking. So when you believe in the Lord and you are resurrected in Christ, your flesh needs to be restricted. You know that there's a difference between hungry and I just want to eat? Most of us don't. To your body, it feels the same. Both of those senses feel the same. When you're hungry and you just want to eat, those two things just feel the same. However, only when you deprive yourself of food and when you're really hungry and you're truly hungry because you have no nutrition in your system, then, only then, will you be able to distinguish between hunger and I just want to eat feeling. Most people in the Bay Area today never felt hunger. All they felt is, I just want to eat. Try this. Stop eating for 24 hours you feel something very different. And that's hunger. It's different than I just want to eat feeling.
the flesh tells you that all the things that it's wa- it wants is legitimate. I- I'm hungry. But in reality, all it's telling you is, I want to eat. I want to satisfy this taste buds of mine. I'm scrolling through. I'm seeing all of these pictures of all the things that other people are eating, and I want it. We need to be able to distinguish between what is essential and what the things that the flesh wants. There's two parts to religion. There is work and there's sincerity to religion. Christians, we represent God through our character and through what we do. Those two things. Character is what's inside and what we do is what's on the outside. The composition of, of a Christian is how the Spirit is working in us. What's inside a person will show outside. If Christ and his work and his ministry fills our heart, it will show through what you do or not. And that's how you determine whether Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit is working through you. So work, let me talk about work first, and then we're talking about character. John chapter 4, verse 30. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Our lives should be the life that does the work, just like Jesus says, my purpose here on earth, the Lord Jesus, your God, purpose here on earth is to do one thing, the Father's will, and two, to finish it. We start many things. We don't finish. The Lord Jesus, he finishes everything that the Lord started in his life. We need to have that character trait. We need to start something and finish it. We should be in a habit of finishing things. If we can't finish it, I'll tell you this. Don't start. If you're not going to finish your faith, then don't get baptized. But if you are going to be baptized or you have baptized, then finish it. Jesus on the cross, he said one thing, and it should ring loud and clear in the Christian's mind. It is finished. That's what he said. We start something, we should finish it. God expresses his divine will through us, not haphazardly. When he starts something, the Bible says he is faithful and just to finish. He is the author and finisher. He didn't just start the work. He will finish what he started. So if he started the work in you as Christians, you baptize, then he will finish it. You will finish. No one runs the race halfway, quits, and get the medal. You got to finish the race to get the medal. We need to finish what we start, but we need to do the work. Work is important. The Lord Jesus Christ does the work of the Father when he was here on earth. Because if you vow a vow to God, you must do it and finish it. Do the Father's will. Psalm 69 verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise him, the sea and everything that moveth therein. God's whole creation glorifies God. Is your life glorifying to God? How we live, are we glorifying to God? When we do God's work, that's religion. When we do God's work, the Father is glorified. God is glorified when we do God's work. Jesus modeled his life in a complete devotion to God. Everything Jesus did was to glorify God. And when people saw the miraculous things that Jesus did, the teaching that he did, the way that he carried himself, they glorified God. Peter and John went up to the temple, to the beautiful gate, saw the lame man. He worked the ministry of God. And what, how did people respond when they saw the miraculous work of Peter and John? They glorified God. The Bible says they glorify God. What we do 
how we work for God is how God is glorified through the things that we do in His name, not just what we think in our minds. What we think in our minds glorify God, then Jesus Christ doesn't have to be incarnate. He was in the flesh. The church exists in real and tangible places in the world so that the work that the churches do becomes glorifying to God. And lastly, finish what you start. Jesus finished what He starts. We need to finish what we start. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Secondly, sincerity. A pure heart. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God looks at the heart. But the heart of man is wicked. So the Lord's answer to this is to send his spirit into us to purify our souls when we obey the truth. Remember, in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, the Word of God purifies our soul. But you say, the Holy Spirit purifies me, right? The Spirit of God works through the Word of God. The seed that comes into your heart gets planted, and the Holy Spirit calls that seed to grow. Do you have the seed of God in your heart? Because the Holy Spirit cannot work unless there is the truth that is in your heart for the Holy Spirit to work. If you want the Holy Spirit to purify your soul, then the word of truth has to be in you. But you say, I don't understand. That's exactly why you need the Holy Spirit. You put this word in your heart, then the Holy Spirit will make it make sense to you. But if there's no word in your heart, the Holy Spirit can't do anything. So God wants to reveal himself to you, but first, you need to have this word in you. But you say, well, isn't that work? No. That's not work. That's just being alive. Would you be alive if you don't take your hand, pick up the food, and put it into your mouth? The food is there, but it is up to us to take the food and put it in your mouth. God gives us the food for our soul. Pick it up and put it in us so that the Holy Spirit can sanctify and purify our souls. Love in action. 1 John 3.18 My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. True love expresses the truth. When we talk about love, I'm not talking about like or affection. I'm talking about the truth of God being shared. That's love. Love that expresses only in word and not indeed artificial. When you say you love someone and you never do anything for the person, that's not love. That's just lying. And then the opposite is true. There are people who do good deeds but have no love. That's self-serving. That's selfishness. True love expresses itself in work. And that work is usually sacrificial. That's true love. It's not when I have some spare time, I give. Or because I have spare change, I give. But true love sacrifices itself when you don't have it and you give. That's love. God sent his word to us in a form that we can all receive. And that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was accessible. If Jesus was born as a king in a palace, would you think that the common people have access to him? No. But he was born as a baby in a manger. Who had access to him first? 
the shepherds, the poor, those who have nothing better to do, so their families sent them out there to tend for the sheep. Jesus was born as a person, as a man, so that we can have access to God's love. The things that he did sacrificially show us that there is the truth in love and that he gave. And God says, for God so loved the world. His expression, God's expression of love was to send his son. What are our expressions of love? When we say we love, what, do, what are we willing to do? I struggle with this. Moses in the wilderness, when people were sick of eating manna and they complained. When we think about Egypt, we think about all this meat and food that they had. And now all he has is bland manna. And this is what Moses says. Say, God, have I conceived these people? Did I somehow give birth to them? Why am I stuck with these people? You see, love and true love comes from how we sacrifice, how we serve. When we have nothing to give, we give ourselves, not the extra stuff. He gave. Secondly, love carries with it action, man's responsibility. Christians, we love not through our words, not through our promises. I promise you this, I promise. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. We love through our actions, through our sacrifices. When you see your brothers and sisters who are in need, now I'm interpreting this, don't just pray for them. But this is what he said. Give them those things that are needful. It's practical. Christianity is practical. When you see someone in need, stop and help them. When you drive out on the street, you see a car that's broken down, pull over and just come out and ask, do you need any help? You're in school, see someone that looks like they're lost. Just stop and say, you need me to help you find something. When you are standing in line, and someone seems to be in a hurry, you say, you'd like to go in ahead of me. Stop and ask. When you see someone look like they need help, do you need help? Is there anything I can do for you? We need, as a church, we need to slow down a bit. We need to insert ourselves in a way of speaking into people who need help and say, hey, is there anything I can do? Because James says, give them those things that are needful, not just, you know what, good luck. God bless you. Is there anything I can do for you? Last thing, suppression and transformation. Before I go there, you know you can't deceive God, right? See, the things that I'm talking to you here, it should be born out of love and not because you are somehow want to be seen as some gracious, magnanimous individual. Well, let me read to you book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 3. So here's the story of a couple, men and women. Peter responds to Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? We can't deceive God. If, if you're going to be generous, do it because of the motivation of the gospel and not because you want to be seen as someone who is gracious. Do it with the right mindset to tell them the only reason why I'm doing this is because my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, set an example that I should follow. That's your testimony. 
not because we have nice people in the world, and I'm one of them. All comes down to the transformation of the heart. Our hearts not transformed. These things that we do are lies. They're fake. They're not real. Let's look at the suppression. There's two ways for us to live our lives. One is by suppression, meaning we abstain from the wrong things, and one is through the process of transformation, and you become a different person. Okay, so lo- let's look at the suppression. Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says, "For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies." These things are the things which defile a man. All these things are part of being human, our old nature, our carnal nature, the flesh. But we can fake it. On the outside, we can be someone who seemingly to be very generous, loving. There has to be a change in heart because eventually, what happens when you suppress, when you try to hold back and you try to do the right thing, but there's no transformation of heart. Eventually. It will take over. It will win. You cannot win by suppression. You cannot suppress these desires. You cannot live with it. These things have to be erased from your life. There are those that have this in their lives. This is part of our human nature. We are selfish. We want to fight and defend our space when we see something that you might not want, and then they say, "For a limited time only." And suddenly, you just want to click buy. Because for limited time only, you see the inner drive and desire is there, and you may suppress it for some time, and then eventually you're gonna cave in because at that moment you're too weak. At the end of the day, you work your whole day, you're tired, and then that's when most people fall into sin. We run out of willpower reserve. A lot of these successful CEOs, pastors of big congregations, and then we read in the news, you see how they fall. They fall into adulteries. Why? Because they suppress all these years. And eventually, come back out. You cannot suppress. Things will eventually make its way out into the surface. You cannot live your life through su- suppression of those desires. You need to have those things sponged from you. And the Lord teaches that holiness is not putting yourself in a place where the world cannot influence you. To keep himself unspotted from the world, and when you read this, you might think, "Okay, as long as I don't go to these places, as long as I don't go to those places, as long as I don't do these things, how long will you be able to keep yourself from those things?" The apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter seven twenty-one. But evil is present with me. You see, it's not from the outside. The world is not from the outside. The world. And evil and sin is from the inside. How can you keep yourself from yourself? You can't. Eventually, it will come out. How do you erase? How do you live a life that's unspotted from the world that is inside? There is a process called transformation. Okay, transformation, not suppression, is what God wants to do in us. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He tried. He tried to live a life that would attain to the kingdom of God, but he couldn't. And so he asked, "Master, how?" And Jesus' response to Nicodemus was, "You must be born again. Born again is not suppression. Born again is transformation. It's the new birth in Jesus Christ." The apostle Paul has an answer to his question in chapter seven. In chapter twelve, he answers verse two, "And be not conformed to this world." But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation begins with your mind, renewing of your mind. Paul's answer to a holy life is not suppression, but correction. Wrong thinking. It comes from the mind. We've been taught by the world, and we need to have the Word of God wash our minds so that our minds is transformed or changed or renewed so that we can be transformed. What you learn, you become. What you believe, you become. What you immerse yourself in, that will cover you. For you and I to be holy, to be unspotted from the world, our minds need to be changed, need to be changed by the Word of God. The Word of God needs to transform your mind and cause you to have new set of love. Let me warn you. Transformation is a violent process. It's not easy. It's not smooth. Lovey-dovey, even though we see the caterpillar transform into the butterfly and it flutters away. No, no, no. Transformation is a violent process. You see, the butterfly has to tear out the outer shell. The cocoon, that shell, it gets ripped apart, gets broken up. Transformation is not a smooth process. It's violent. The old is ripped apart and discarded. It withers. The Holy Spirit operates in the believer's life to transform him into the image of Christ. It's a violent process because the old man doesn't want to die. The Holy Spirit transforms us into Christ and we resist. We don't want to because that old flesh, it wants to hold on. I like this warm and comfortable cocoon. I don't, but then you need to rip it apart to be transformed. And the Holy Spirit wants to take you from where you are into the next stage of your spiritual journey. And until you have wings, you cannot fly. The, the caterpillar cannot fly until it rips its outer shell apart. And you and I, if you want to fly, if you want to be the messenger of the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to rip this older shell apart. But here's the economy of God. The kingdom of God, since the time of John, suffers violence, and the violence took it by force. There are many people, if you leave them alone, they would never want anything to do with God. Lot's family, they were in Sodom. God was going to send fire. That whole city was going to burn up. God sent the angels. How did Lot respond and his children? They laughed at them. What did the angels do? They dragged them out of Sodom, literally. They grabbed them by the hand and dragged them out of Sodom. The kingdom of God suffers violence and it needs people like you and I who will not be derailed because someone says something that hurts your feeling. Not that you don't have feelings, but it doesn't matter in the scope and grand scheme of God's salvation. We should grab people by the hand and say, come with me because tomorrow this city will burn. We should have that mindset that people don't want to be saved. And we need to give them a little nudge and sometimes a yank. We need to push them. And in the beginning, they might hate us. But eventually, they see what we do is out of love. They might not. And you know what? It's okay. Because those who didn't see that Jesus Christ came to save them, they crucified him. But it's okay. Jesus on the cross says, forgive them, Father. The children of Israel, under captivity of Pharaoh, the more they oppressed, the more they grew. The economy of God is that under violence, we grow. 
we mature. The church in the beginning, the first 250 years of the Christian church, it was under attack, violent attack from emperors. They attacked the church, but the more they attacked the church, the more it grew. They bonded together. The more they become the church that we have today. And through those violent beginnings, it survived more than 2,000 years. Those first 250 years were pivotal in the Christian history. If we didn't have that, we won't have it today. But what happened to the church today? What happened to the church today has become soft. We need to return to our heritage. Transformation won't carry with it debts. And Jesus says, unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and die, it remains by itself. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Don't worry. The more affliction, the more you're going to grow. And the affliction is there to drive you out of that place of comfort and into the wilderness. Out of your old master living like slaves and into the place where they would become the children of the Almighty God. When our minds are renewed through the study and meditation of God's Word, the purification work of the Holy Spirit begins in us to produce a pure and undefiled religion. And then when we serve the gospel to people, the gospel will come from clean hands, pure hearts. That's who we need to be. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for out of this mortality came immortality. Out of this death comes life. We thank you that the Holy Spirit did not abandon us when we were ignorant in our own pursuit of the carnal desires, but that you patiently wait for us. And I pray in the coming days as we come into the change that you have promised through your Holy Spirit to transform us by the renewal of our minds and into the shape and into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not be shy away or become fearful of what we would become, but that we would step forward in faith and say, God, I'm ready to do this. I am ready to be transformed by your Holy Spirit into an instrument that would deliver the gospel. I am willing to shape my life in such a way that you would pour, pour your gospel and your message into me so that the Holy Spirit can use that in my mouth and my message and my life and my work as a means to bring people to salvation. I pray, Lord, like the Apostle Paul says, that we should... Be mindful to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We thank you for what you have called each one of us into. The calling of God is without repentance. But you have given us not only the gospel message, but you have also given us the promise and most importantly, Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and cause us to grow and mature into the measure and the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.